0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Pastor Lars uh, coming to you uh, from my office. I moved the mic from the podium in the sanctuary to my office, and I'm sitting here. And what I'm going to be doing for the time being, while we are all under our coronavirus hibernation and distancing, I hope everyone is staying home uh, or at least staying out of crowds as much as you can during this time. As you know, everything here at Lord of Grace is closed for the rest of March, and we're going to revisit that. I think there's a good possibility it's going to go on well past that. But for these two weeks, I'm going to try something, uh, get started a little bit, uh, on making a sort of, I guess you could call it a podcast, although I don't know how to run it through the Apple system. What I'm going to do is make recordings, and I'll put those on the church website. And you can listen to those whenever. Uh, for, to begin with, I'm planning on doing one on Wednesdays. Or, like I say, this one came to you, comes to you on a Thursday. Because, uh, as you know, my wife Christy is on the school board at Flowing Wells. And the public schools, of course, have lots of different things they have to figure out in the midst of coronavirus. And so I stayed home with the kids and let her go to that. Uh, and, and because of that, I didn't get this message out to you yesterday, but we'll be doing this this morning, and I'll make another one. I'll have one for you for Sunday, and hope you can sit down, and you can play this, like I say, the church website works on your phone, so you can, you can play it in your car while you're driving to wherever you drive. You can plug it into your uh, stereo at home, however you choose to listen to it. They're, these are just regular MP3s, and... Um, so, hopefully we'll start with two a week. And like I say, keep your keep checking your email inboxes. I know a lot of people don't like to check email, but it really is the best means for us as a church to get messages out to everyone. It's hard for us to text everyone or Facebook message everyone, something like that. Email still works the best. So, again, hope everyone's staying healthy and safe. I'll get started here uh, with a basically the thoughts, the ideas that I have that I was going to share last night at our midweek Lent service that didn't happen. So for each Wednesday in Lent, my theme this year has been the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven places in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am, and there's seven of those statements. We've done two of them. This week, the statement we're going to look at is, I am the gate. And uh, I'd recommend, if you have your Bible in front of you, open that up to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Read along with me, if you can. If you're in your car, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage uh, in its entirety so you can listen to that. So here goes. We'll get started with just a simple Bible reading. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers." Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So there's our gospel reading, John 10, verses 1 through 10. Now, I don't know exactly how many times in the Bible Jesus makes sheep analogies. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, it's more than I can count. And for most of us today you know, who don't live on farms, we don't have herds of sheep, all these parables get a little hard to understand. I guess if Jesus was in Brooklyn, it would be parables about what? Pigeons and rats, kind of it a little bit. Uh, what would it be for us? Scorpions? Javelinas? Uh, I am the javelina. I come in through your backyard. I don't know. But anyways, for Jesus, it was sheep. Uh, if you, and if you look at these uh, analogies, they never put people in the best light. We're, all, we're usually the sheep. We're the sort of clueless animals wandering around in groups, looking for someone to tell us what to do. And then, of course, there's the shepherd, who keeps people together, moves them around, keeps out the lions and the wolves and the bears and the other people who are going to steal the sheep. And these are not free-roaming sheep. A lot of the sheep in Jesus' day were. They were free-roaming, They just and the shepherd just traveled behind the sheep. Uh, there's not a lot of gra- good grass in southern Israel, so they had to keep moving to different pastures all the time. But these sheep are fenced-in sheep, and they ha- there is a gate and, of course, wherever there is uh, something of value, there are thieves. There are sheep stealers. Um, it's kind of a funny phrase, as I was thinking about this, sheep stealing, because usually when we use, when I hear the phrase sheep stealing today, it's between pastors, and we're always talking about the, that one guy, that one guy you know who builds his whole church, not by going out and reaching the unchurched, and not by convincing a whole bunch of atheists and secular humanists to convert to Christianity and join his church, but what instead he does is he goes to other churches and tries to get the faithful, active people there to switch to his church. And there's all sorts of tactics that get used for this. Uh, you can tr- They tr- often try the bad-mouthing of the current pastor, Oh, you know, your pastor's really bad, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll give you examples of why he's bad. Uh, they might badmouth the denomination. You know, we in the ELCA, we get a lot of this. You know, they'll accuse us of being heretical or uh, abandoning the Bible. That's a common one. Oh, ELCA doesn't believe in the Bible. Uh, I always tell them, yeah, you're actually right. I don't really believe in the Bible. I believe in God. Um, the Bible points me to God, but aside all that aside, that's that's kind of the negative sheep stealing way that gets approached. Bad mouth the current place, sow doubts in people's minds about the current leadership or the current denomination, and then on the flip side, uh, offer that you that your place is the safe haven where you can go free from all those bad things that you're experiencing at that other place. Uh, uh, on the flip side, there's other tactics that sheep stealers use. There's the caring contest, called the caring contest. You try to out-visit and out-care the current pastor. So if you find out somebody, uh, a target at the other church is sick, you try to get to the hospital, and you try to get there before the pastor gets there, and you try to get there uh, and show more sympathy. And maybe I've heard, I know one guy who does this, he brings his family with him, you know, so the people will say, wow, you know, my pastor came by himself, but Pastor so-and-so, he brought his kids, what a nice guy, you know. Maybe I should check out his church because he's a really caring guy. And, uh, of course, some people will look at the, all these tactics and see right through them in a second and say, well, yeah, of course, he's acting like an insurance salesman, right? He you know, wants to build up his clientele, and he wants to pluck customers from Allstate and Geico and State Farm. And so what does he do? He offers you extra calls, and he tells you how bad the coverage really is over there. Uh, it's sales tactics is what it is. We call it sheep stealing on the assumption that sort of pastors are the shepherds and the people are the sheep. And some people will see through it right away. Uh, Others will see through it and say, well, yeah, I know he's kind of you know, I know it's a tactic. I know the reason he's inviting me to all these basketball games and all these having me over all the time is because he wants me to switch churches. But, you know, maybe if he's willing to do that, maybe I should anyways. You know, I, we all play the game, right? And then there's others who will just see it as nothing but the most wonderful attention they've ever gotten. And so they'll switch churches. That's sheep stealing. You're not raising more sheep. You're not increasing the size of the herd. You're just luring sheep from one pen to another. And usually, if you were to ask a sheep stealer, they don't think of themselves as doing anything wrong. Uh, they'll have all sorts of justifications. They'll justify it by saying that, you know, people deserve to be happy, and I'm just I'm rescuing them from a bad situation. Or they'll say, like they often do with the ELCA, you know, that that, that denomination, they've gone off the rails uh, the and they they teach heresies and people's salvation is at stake, uh, and you know because they believe in false things, their salvation is at is at stake. And so I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not sheep stealing. I'm rescuing people. I'm saving them. And uh, so, but really, what it is is at the end of the day, uh, trying to convince atheists and non believers that God exists and that you should come to church, is infinitely harder, and it's a long time investment and cost investment, low return. If you can just manage to charm people who already go to another church to just flip sides, that's a lot more uh, return on your investment if you're somebody who's counting bodies and bucks. Uh, And so what they'll do is, you know, they'll talk about mission and the lost, but really they're just reassembling the already saved, they're, they're shuffling the deck. Um, it's interesting when you read this passage, getting back to Jesus here, when he talks about this analogy of, of sheep stealing. He says that the ones who came before him were thieves and bandits. He doesn't exactly name who these people are who came before him. Uh, I don't think the names are the point. We know that a lot of people came before Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah, it was not uncommon. There were lots of people who claimed some version of being a messiah or having a revelation. Uh, it was an easy way to get a following. You know, it's a lot easier to get people's attention and get their loyalty uh, and possibly their money if you say that you know, what you're saying is somehow revelation, that either your words are from God directly or you somehow are uh, God than saying, I'm just another self-proclaimed preacher among all the other self-proclaimed preachers. And Jesus is basically saying that all these guys that came before him, they're con men. They're not saving people uh, from their non-belief. They're not saving people from sin. They're not even saving them from an otherwise corrupt religion. They are the problem. They're pulling people away. Jesus could be critical of the religion of his day. He could be critical of the priests and the way they ran the temple. Uh, He threw a hissy fit in the temple and knocked things over. He got so mad at how the temple was being run. But he didn't say the temple should be blown up. He said he could blow it up. He didn't say he was going to do it. Jesus wasn't interested in creating a new religion. Uh, what he was interested in was reforming the religion he had. So while he could be critical of it, he wasn't necessarily trying to pull people out of it uh, and he was just trying to fix it in essence and he even says, I'm not going to take any of the laws away. I am not changing any of the scriptures. I'm not making up a new one. Uh, I'm coming to fulfill it So all the all this I got all this got me thinking again as I'm continuing to think about sheep stealing, Got me thinking about that uh, cult church in South Korea that became the center of this coronavirus outbreak, at least in South Korea. Uh, the church I had to look it up is the, and I'm I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly here, the Shinjonji Church of Jesus, comma the Temple of the Tabernacle of the Testimony. Uh, that's the full name. Most people just call them the Shinshonji. Shinjong, uh, it's headed by a man named Lee Mon-hee. Uh, and Lee Mon-hee flat out says he is the returned Jesus Christ uh, in the flesh. He is Jesus. And he came back in 1984. And now this particular group is under the spotlight because the Corona outvi- coronavirus outbreak in South Korea started in their church. And they didn't tell anyone. And then they traveled around the country on their missions, uh, w- carrying this virus all around. And when the Korean authorities came to them, they did not try to give out names uh, of their members. And the authorities said, we need to know who your members are so we can test them and find out if they have the virus. And they wouldn't give their names. And when asked, the people said, well, yeah, because the government's trying to persecute us. And if they know who we are, then they know where to find us. And they all hate us because we're following the one true Messiah. And so now a lot of people have the coronavirus and the government basically just forced them to hand over the names. Uh, But that's part of, the part that's worth noting is that the founder of this church, and I will put the word church in quotes, is that he claims he's Jesus. Why doesn't he just claim he's a follower of Jesus? Why doesn't he just say he's a preacher or, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a pastor, and I, I feel like the Spirit's given me a special insight. He doesn't say that. Uh, and I think it's because if he says that, then he becomes just like every other preacher out there, and people might choose to follow him or not. And it'd probably be a lot harder to follow them. And But if, he's, if he is Jesus, now his words, they are the word of God. And you can't just compare him to every other reverend, this or that, down the street. You can't really compete. The other reverend may be a good reverend, but Limon He, he's Jesus. So I have to listen to him. Now, of course, it also increases Mr. He's authority over all his followers by a thousand times. If the head is not just an interpreter, but the one giving the revelation... So, when you look at people who claim to have these special revelations, who claim to speak directly for God, or who claim that they are God, and you look at who follows them, again, it's not usually total unbelievers coming to Christ. It's people who are already in churches, who already are believed but who are pulled away from those churches to follow this charismatic leader who has a special revelation. And history is full of them. There's been many, many of them. They came before Jesus, they've come after Jesus, and they've built their empires by stealing sheep. These are the people Jesus talks about as the thieves and the bandits, pulling the people away from the Orthodox faith to follow them, and them alone. So, and I know the question's going to come up. Okay, Lars, well, how do you know that it's not Revelation? How do you, I mean, how can you say, uh, how can I say that, yeah, Jesus was the Messiah, but clearly not Hong Shao Kwan, Jim Jones, Lee Man-hee, you know, there's, there's histories full of them. How, how, how do you know which one's the right one and which one's false? Are you just picking the one you like and then declaring the others aren't? That's a good question. Uh, when I look at it, Jesus was clear. And I said this before, I'll say it again. Jesus was clear he was not making up a new religion. He wasn't abandoning the traditional Jewish faith. He w- he said he was not going to be changing one letter of the law. So he didn't come with a new law book, he didn't come with new rules, he wasn't making stuff up, he was interpreting and fulfilling the law that was already there. And he didn't, also, the other thing that I notice is, Jesus didn't use the authority that he had, and the position he had, and the influence he had over his followers to get money, or to get power. He didn't build he, he kept talking about a kingdom, but he never built a literal worldly kingdom. He didn't amass wealth, he didn't have some big throne, he didn't raise up an army to start an insurrection of people who must follow him and him alone. He's the gate, not the thief. And one last note that I found kind of interesting when I read this. Jesus is the gate not the gatekeeper. There is a good gatekeeper in the first part of the story. He lets the sheep in, they follow him, but then when Jesus is explaining the parable to his disciples who didn't get it, he switches and says, he's the gate. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way in. Jesus is the way to be saved. So if we're like the sheep... Jesus is the gate. He is the way. And yeah, there are people out there who are going to be trying to spread a message for their own gain. I think if there's anything we learn from Jesus is that following Jesus, following the word of God, is not something we do for our gain. And if you're following it well, if you're following it correctly, is there correctly? Maybe I should reword that. If you're following it uh, all the way, it's not going to gain you in this world. It's not something that's going to get you money and power. It will get you what Jesus got, which was the cross. And yet, in that, we see that is the gate. That is the way. That is the path to salvation. All right. Uh, amen. I hope everyone, again, has a good rest of your week. And I uh, look forward to you. I'll be sending out the next, the next edition, the next podcast here coming up. Uh, sometime before Sunday. So stay safe. God bless everyone. Bye.